Um, I, I did a, uh, a message for the two, two services on the Romans Project and just explaining what it is that God wants to do with us through the book of Romans. And I kind of left it hanging last Sunday night, and I didn't know if I was going to finish that, and I thought, well, you know, I need to finish that. And, um, and that's in re- regards to Romans chapter uh, 12, and we're going to look at verse number 1 and 2. So Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Our theme uh, verse for this particular uh, study in the book of Romans for this year. So it says in verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so that verse is really just telling you that Paul is not whipping anybody here. He's beseeching. This is a begging. It's an imploring. It's saying to the people of God, it's talking to brethren, so it's talking to saved people. It's not talking to the lost. And he's saying, I want you brethren, you that are saved, present yourself. So that tells you that a born-again believer isn't necessarily an obedient believer. Uh, We're not necessarily a believer that follows the Lord uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, Paul had to beg them and said, I want you to present your bodies. And notice it's your bodies. Uh, that If the Lord has your body, he has you all. Because most people, the decisions they make is based upon their body and the, the comfort of your body. And if he can have your body, he will have you all. And he doesn't want your body dead. It's not a dead sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. Amen. He wants you to live for him, not die for him right now. He may, he may want you to die for him one day, but today he doesn't. Today, he wants you to make a decision to live for him. And then it goes on to say, now, what is that living sacrifice? Well, it's a holy sacrifice. Uh, it's a, an acceptable unto God, that kind of sacrifice, which means that if I'm going to sacrifice this, I want it to be the right kind of sacrifice. I, I want to, I, you know, I, I've been in the ministry for a little while, and so I've seen all kinds of people want to do things for God, but very few of them want to do things for God the way that God wants them to do them. They want to do things for God the way they want to do them. And that's a problem because within our sacrifice to the Lord and our surrender to him, we've got to make a decision to do it his way, that it's acceptable to him. It doesn't matter if you like what's going on. It just matters if the Lord likes it. (laughs) Amen. And that's what it's all about. It's got to be acceptable to him. Then it says, of course, which is your reasonable service. He's not asking too much of you to give your whole life right now totally to him. And for you to live the rest of your days for him, that's not too much for God to ask of you. Amen. It's reasonable. Then here's our theme verse. It says, and be not conformed to this world. We talked about that last week. That means don't fit into the world's pattern. And we looked at many different things in regards to the world. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Lord, I just ask you that you just give me the wisdom I need and the, uh, the thoughts and the direction, Lord, that I can bring this message to a place that, uh, that, would, uh, that, would, that you could use it to help each one in this room uh, be exactly what you want them to be tonight. I pray you bring understanding. Help us, Lord, to understand what you want from us. Lord, this is a, this is a, a big project that you have in mind for this church, for every individual here you have a time of change. And I want us to change. I want us to be more like Christ. 
And so, Lord, I just pray you'd help us understand this basic principle and concept tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, <clears throat> we looked at a couple things already in relation to this. Um, and I'm just going to scroll up here. And um, we looked at to present yourself. We looked at rejecting the world's mold. <clears throat> and thirdly, today, I want to look at uh, the renovation of your mind. The renovation of your mind. So it says here, but be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. That transformation isn't work. It's not hard. It's not you doing something. Transformation is automatic. And that's something we need to understand here. If your transformation is hard work, then it's not transformation. You're just conforming. <clears throat> you're conforming to be a Christian. And then while you're conforming, you're complaining about it. And you're complaining about it because it's not a real transformation. <laughs> Amen? It, it's fake. It's just external. It's just something you're trying to conform to, an idea that somebody's expecting of you, but it's not an interchange. Um, a true transformation is automatic based upon an interchange. And if, it's, and if you change internally, your life will transform automatically. Amen? And that's just what the scripture says here. And so... The renewing of your mind, the word renewing means to renew qualitatively. Uh, therefore, a renewing or renovation makes, which makes a perfect diff, per person different than in the past. And so you're, you're going to become better. Uh, you need a renovation. Uh, you guys ever done renovations in your home? I mean, you talk about the worst thing you could possibly do is start a renovation project. I mean, you're not dealing with straight walls. You're not dealing with straight foundation. You're dealing with crooked and you're dealing with years of settling and this, that and you're trying to get this thing straight, Gord's looking at me, how did you know? <laughs> you know? And so it's very difficult. And can you imagine what the Lord is doing in our lives as he's renovating us? You understand the work that's involved with the Lord trying to change our minds about things? After we've already had things settled in and fitting the way we like it to fit, and then God comes along and says, I want you to change your thinking about this, and and then instead of changing, we get mad at whoever told us to change, <laughs> you know, instead of realizing, yes, God wants this from you. He wants to renovate you. And this is very, very important. So renewing is, is not just about changing ideas. It's about a transformation that takes place. When you give yourself to scripture, you're going to be rewired, renovated into a new creature the Lord created you to be. Because your wiring is all crossed. Amen. And that's because of sin. That's because of our sin nature. And so the Lord rewires us. And that brought me to an interesting article I was reading. Doctors Abby Carney and Leslie uh, Unger, leader of the National Institute of Mental Health, did a fascinating study asking subjects to perform a simple motor task, a finger-tapping exercise. As subjects tapped, the doctors conducted an MRI to identify what part of the brain was being activated, the subjects then practiced that finger-tapping exercise daily for four weeks. At the end of the four-week period, the brain scan was repeated. In each instance, it revealed that the area of the brain involved in the task had expanded. That simple task finger-tapping exercise literally recruited new nerve cells and rewired neuronal connections. So when we read scripture, 
what we're doing is we're recruiting new nerve cells and rewiring neuronal connections in a sense where we're downloading a new operating system that reconfigures your whole mind. So this is what needs to take place. It's not just you saying, oh yeah, I'm going to change my idea about that. (laughs) It's a total rewiring. And so that's why when I know when people come to church here, the way they initially come, I know what's going to happen. One of two things. They are actually going to be renovated or they're going to leave. Every person comes to church, that's the choices you're going to have. (laughs) You're going to either change your mind by a rewiring or you will ultimately leave because you're going to become frustrated because you're going to feel they're making, they're putting it down my throat. The Lord is convicting you to change. (laughs) Amen. We're here for you to change. That's why we have patience with people when they do come. That's why we put up with some issues sometimes. But, you know, if a person wants a change, we put up with it so that they can change. That's what we do here. Amen? Now, I know that ultimately, people will make their choice whether they want to change. You're the one that has to do the finger tapping. (laughs) You're the one that has to to allow the reprogramming to take place. Nobody can do that for you. Uh, Your mother, your father, your husband, your wife... As much as they want you to change, they can't do a thing for you. Amen? That is you. It's personal. And it's your responsibility. And so, it's very important. Now, mind renewal is a work of the Holy Ghost. In Titus 3, verse 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration, that's the the new birth that takes place, but then it says, and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so the renovating is actually a work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. So you can't have a renovation without God being inside of you, without being born again, without being regenerated. So the renovation of our mind is possible due to the regeneration or new birth. The Holy Ghost also renews us or renovates us as we live in submission to Scripture from our old life. It's also a spiritual work because the Spirit's involved. In Ephesians 4 verse 22 it says, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. So there is an old conversation, an old lifestyle, the old way I used to do things that needs to be put off. And I need to put on the new man, the new lifestyle. Um, It says, putting off concerning the the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I've had people come in that were very involved in religion. And even their religion was actually a work of the flesh. So they had to be rewired. (laughs) Amen. The religion becomes a work of the flesh. The devil doesn't care how you do it. As long as he can control you through your flesh. And much religion is of the flesh. And very little of it, of it is, exact, is actually of the Spirit of God. Amen? And so it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so there's a new man that you have to put on, that new creature. And that's, that's going to happen as you allow the renovation to take place. But you're, 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 uh, the way you're going to be afterwards is different. It's going to be patterned after a new man. This is why we make much of Bible reading. 
Bible memory. We need it to change ourselves. You need the Word of God. If you're not spending time in the Bible, I'm sorry, you are not changing. Yet, while I've been in church, it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. I've done this my whole, I don't care how long you've done it. If you are not constantly putting in the Word of God into your heart, you will not change. In fact, you will backslide. You will become worse than you've ever been. But I've been in Baptist church for 20 years, and it's amazing you can be worse than when you started if you forsake God's path, God's way. Amen? So mind renewal is spiritual. Mind renewal is a daily and a continual work. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish. Does anybody have an outward man that's perishing today? <laughs> Amen. This morning I shook Ferdinand's hand. He goes like this. Tendons. <laughs> that's the outward man. <laughs> and you know what? This afternoon was like, man, my knee hurts. Outward man. The outward man is perishing. Amen. So it says, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Isn't that wonderful? So it's not like we're all like our knees and our tendons and our elbows. That's not all of us. That's just a part of us. And that part has to be totally done away with and a new glorious body given to us. But even though our body is breaking down, our soul, our mind, our heart is being renewed. That's a wonderful truth. I'm glad. I'm glad something in me is getting better. Amen. And so that's a good verse. Uh, also, mind renewal requires accurate instruction. Accurate instruction. This isn't just about you, you know, reading the, the self-help books you find in the, uh, you know, chapters or <laughs> some of these bookstores. Uh, you, you can't do it like that. It takes very, very direct and accurate instruction for you to change. It's not just a general concept here. And so in John 17, verse 16, Jesus, as he's praying to his father, he says this, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So sanctify really just means to be set apart. Set apart to holiness, actually, in the, in the context of the Lord. And so the Bible says that I'm supposed to be set apart to holiness, and the way that's going to happen is I'm going to do that through truth. So the more truth I put into my heart, the more I, I not just learn here, but the more I trust here, the more I change. Amen? So it's not academic. It's not, well, I'm going to go to Bible college, I'm going to become a new man. No, Bible college may help you, and that might be good for you, but I'll tell you, that is not your answer. Your answer is a submitted heart. You could be on a desert island with nobody around you, and you have the Word of God in your hand, and you can change. And you might change a lot more than somebody else that's in Bible college. In fact, I've been in Bible college, and I've seen a lot of things going on in Bible college, and you know what? There's more that do not change than those that do. And I've seen a lot of people in Bible college that not only do not change, but sometimes get worse because they're put in a situation where they're required to step forward in a spiritual sense, but if they're not desiring that, they actually become more carnal. Because all, all it is is a conformity. It's you're just, you're just making yourself look like you're a good Baptist or you're a good Christian. And it's not a true change that's going on. 
So it's not about your dynamic and what education you're getting. It's about you submitting to the truth of the Word of God. That's why you're here tonight. You're here tonight in submission to the truth of the Word of God. Because the Bible tells you to be here. Did you know that? Now, I know preachers are supposed to say that, right? <laughs> you know, Sure, and it seems self-serving, but uh, I think if you'd ask somebody here that's right with God, they would tell you the same thing. If you'd ask another person in this room that is right with God, they would tell you the same thing because they're following Scripture. Amen? And so you, you can't expect to be saved and then expect that you're already going to know the truth. You can't expect what you learned in Sunday school to just somehow change you for the rest of your life. You can't just hold on to the time you used to go to church and, oh, well, I'm a Christian, I've learned some things. No, this, this re renovation is constant. It's like starting a renovation project. You ever done that? And then halfway through, you get tired and quit. You, you, can, you can brag all you want about how much you have renovated. But all you know is this, your job ain't done. And you've left it hanging, <laughs> you know? And isn't it a <laughs> blot <laughs> on your life? You know, walking past that every time you come home, every time you go into that room, every time whatever, and you say, now nah, I need to get that done. Now nah, I need to get that done. It almost gets to be a drudgery in your life. And not only that, renovation projects left unfinished actually start to deteriorate. Don't they, Paul? <laughs> Because if you don't finish them and make them look nice, they're going to actually deteriorate. It's going to be more work to pick it up and to start it again. Amen? That's the way it works. You cannot come out of a life of sin and think that somehow you have a handle of the truth. Anybody that comes to our church that has had a life of sin, and I know that's where they... That doesn't mean you can't come to church and be a member of the church. I mean, if you're born again and you're wanting to do right... Uh, you can come and you can be a part. But that requires you to deal. You can't just say, well, that's what I was. Now I'm going to start over and I'm just going to forget that. You can't forget that. That is going to continue to tap on your shoulder till Jesus comes until you deal with it. And I'll always encourage somebody. Somebody comes to me and they want to be baptized. I'll encourage them. If I knew they came from a very rough background, I'll say, do you understand? You have to deal with these issues. Being baptized isn't going to wash that away. Amen? Your intentions are good, and your baptism is showing your intentions. But intentions alone will not change you. You have to renovate. You have to deal with why you're in that life of sin. Right? It takes time, but that's what the church is for, if that's what you're here for. It says... Um, you cannot come out of a, a liberal, modernistic teaching environment and expect that you know enough. Folks, I've had people come that have been in church their whole life in a liberal, modern mindset, and when they come here, they tell them, I've got to relearn everything. I said, absolutely. <laughs> You'd be better to do that than trying to hold on to the error and trying to adjust everything you hear within your context of teaching. Amen? Well, you're saying you're the only one right? Well, if I'm here and I'm standing behind the pulpit preaching, I sure hope I wouldn't be here saying I'm preaching this because I know it's wrong. I'm preaching because I know it's right. Well, you're a proud preacher. Well, <laughs> if I thought it was wrong, why would I preach it? <laughs> you know, I'm preaching because it's right. 
But the problem is when you got the clash, you got the clash of ideas and doctrines coming from the outside in, and they're looking at you like somehow, you think you're the only one right? Well, no, I think I'm right. Oh, you're proud. Well, no, I just, it's called being right with the scripture. It's not about me. It's about this book. It's about the truth. So I think anybody that comes in these doors is not looking to become a, um, a Pentecostal. Nor do they want to become a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> they're going to become a scriptural Bible-believing Christian. And also, they're going to understand why we're Baptist. Oh, I don't care about those titles. Okay, next time you go to the grocery store, I'll rip all of the titles off of the cans of soup, and you can just pick whichever one you want. <laughs> I'll tell you something. When these people start telling you, oh, this non-denominational, all you're trying to do is deceive people. You're trying, to, you're trying to say, oh, there's nothing in here that you've got to worry about. I'd rather have you give me the ingredients on the label so I can discern what I'm putting in my mouth. And I know what a Baptist is. And just because a person is called a Baptist or a church is a Baptist doesn't mean they're a Baptist church or hold to the historical principles of a Baptist church. Within our statement of faith, we have a list of historical Baptist principles that churches have held since the time of Christ. So it's not just a, a, a neat title to have. It means something. So if a person comes to you and says, well, I don't care about being a Baptist, and forget about that. Well, then you're in the wrong place because I'm going to tell you what the ingredients are. <laughs> Amen. And what we stood for. And it's amazing because what we stood for is based upon much of it came to the top because of the error around us. So there's a reason why for the Baptists we, we think a lot of the priesthood of the believer. That every person has their own ability and responsibility to have their own relationship with God and each of us can approach God individually. Now why would a Baptist believe something like that? <laughs> well, because... The church history, what took place is they tried to tell you, you cannot go to God except you go through that priest over there. And if you go through that priest and confess your sins, he will forgive you your sins. And so because of the error around the church, these doctrines rose to the top, which identified what a true church was supposed to be. Somebody that believes in the priesthood of all believers. Amen? I think if there had been no pressure from the outside, that wouldn't be a big doctrine for us. <laughs> but that's what created our label. That's on our can. <laughs> Amen. That's our, that's our ingredient. Another one is, um, it was right there. <laughs> uh, not priest of the believer, but individual soul liberty. That means everybody is responsible before God to choose what you believe. Say, preacher, that's why I'm not agreeing with you. I'm going to agree. Well, that's great. You have got that. You've got that privilege to believe what you want. But I'll tell you something. You're here because you agree with the body. Well, I don't agree with this body. Then you're in the wrong place. <laughs> then you need to go find the right one. Otherwise, you're going to be a troublemaker. Amen? 
And that's why when someone holds a false doctrine or a different doctrine, we call it false. They may think it's true. Well, you'll meet God about that. Then find someone that holds your position and go, go fellowship with them. Go do the work of God with them. <laughs> Amen? You understand, we all have the freedom to walk with God and to choose what we believe through our conscience that God has given us. But remember this, your conscience is formed by something. Now, some of us, you can say, it's only the Bible preacher. My conscience has the shape of this book. <laughs> Amen? Well, that's wonderful. I'm happy about that. But, you know, some people have the book and. Maybe church authority, maybe the Pope, maybe this, maybe that. And, and all kinds of things are forming your ideas that you, that you hold. And therefore, if I would tell you to do something that's in line with the scripture, according to what we believe, you'd say, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> well, that's because your conscience has been formed a certain way. So that's what I mean. Mind renewal is actually not only just changing your ideas, it's actually reforming your conscience. It is. But we all have that responsibility. When we, uh, in, in my hometown, uh, we come from a Mennonite background. And so the Mennonites would have a lot of different holidays. They've made a big deal about holidays, religious holidays. And so when they would have a holiday, like, um, what's one of them? <laughs> Pentecost. Um, uh, what's some of the other ones? Uh, Three Wise Men. <laughs> Epiphany, you know, they would have these holidays, and it wouldn't just be one day holiday, it'd be three days. Because you got to have one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's what you believe, and you're doing it for the Lord, that's really up to you. As long as you don't tell me, you, if you don't do it, you're going to hell. <laughs> Amen. If you want to honor God by taking three days holidays, <laughs> you know, sounds like a good plan. Amen. But if you want to do that, that's your choice. But this is all I got to say about it. When you go to your job site and you get that job and you make your application, you better tell them that. Otherwise, you're dishonest. You know, it's happened to my dad. We had a company, we had workers come. And of course, uh, when it came to the holiday, all of a sudden he just springs it on them. Oh, I got to take my three days holidays. I didn't know this. Now, that creates a little tension on the job. I remember this one guy, he had to take his religious holiday, so he went to the bar and played video lotto all night. <laughs> it's a joke many times. But I'm not saying it always is a joke. There may be somebody that just genuinely in their heart wants to honor God by taking three days for him. And I'm saying, you know what? You've got the right to do that. Individual soul liberty but you better not take advantage of others while you're doing it. <laughs> do you understand that? Nor ought you tell somebody else when you're doing it, oh, if you don't do this, you're not as good as I am. No, that has nothing to do with it. You're doing this for God. It's between you and him. It's individual. The moment you start saying, well, then you've got to do it too, now you've become the Roman Catholic Church. Do you understand? And now you're violating that principle of individual soul liberty. So if a person wants to take holidays all half the year, I mean, you can pay your bills, go ahead. <laughs> you know, if you do it to the Lord, the Bible says go and do it. The Bible says one, one man regardeth the day unto the Lord, one man regardeth it not unto the Lord. 
Somebody says, I don't take that holiday for the Lord. The other one says, I do take that holiday for, for the Lord. And it's the same holiday. And the Lord says, I love both of you. <laughs> because both of them are doing it for him. It's individual. Amen? Because now we're operating by some law-based system here. <laughs> but all I'm saying is, within your context of having an individual liberty, you can't walk into a Bible-preaching church and say, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> because the whole aspect of having a body of Christ demands obedience to the tenets of that faith. And if that isn't your faith, because of your individual soul liberty, then you need to leave. You know what I mean? We don't want you to leave, but I mean, I'm not going to sit here and challenge your, your individual soul liberty. <laughs> This is for people that want to join together and be of the same mind one with another. And the Bible says you can do that. It says be of the same mind. Speak the same thing. How are you going to do that if everybody believes something else? <laughs> so I hope we would have the integrity when we come to the house of God that we say, I'm here because, preacher, I'm holding to what you're holding to. Or if I don't understand it, I'm trying to learn so I can be of the same mind and speak the same thing. Amen? So within this individuality is still a responsibility. But you still have freedom to get up and leave. And nobody can keep you from doing that. <laughs> Amen? See, that's, the Roman Catholic Church wasn't like that. If you would do that, they would say, oh, stop right there, and they'd burn you at the stake. <laughs> right? Do you believe this is a, the body of Christ in a little wafer? No, I don't. Burn them. Instead of just saying you have the choice to choose for yourself what you believe. <laughs> you want to believe you come from a monkey, that's your responsibility. You'll meet God about that, but you're not going to believe that here. You understand? And so go find the monkey people and have a fellowship with them, you know? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is so powerful. It's alive. Amen. That's why it causes so many problems for us. <laughs> you know, preacher opens up that verse and starts preaching. I had someone, you know, I was sitting down, I was reading the Bible. Oh, that's just your interpretation. I says, I haven't, even interpreted, I haven't even interpreted this yet. I just read you the verse. That's your interpretation. <laughs> well, no, that's God's word. In other words, I don't like that verse. You know, that sure hits them hard because when it's God's word, I got to somehow come up with a reason why I don't want to obey that. <laughs> that's your interpretation. <laughs> All I'm doing is reading to you. And so... It pierces the dividing center of soul and spirit. Your three parts, your spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is where, you're, where the spirit of God comes in and dwells in you and seals you. In your spirit, becomes spiritually reborn. Your spirit is that part of you that connects with God and that's what carries your prayers and that's how God communicates with your heart. That's why the Bible talks even music, melody, has the aspect of the spirit. So your, your melody always carries the message. Amen? Just like the Spirit carries the message. But that doesn't mean your soul is receiving it. <laughs> Amen? 
Your soul is your mind, your will, and emotions. That doesn't mean you're, you're allowing that, that message from God to work through your spirit into your soul because you may have just put your heels in there in the mind part. Well, I don't believe that. Now, you're under conviction. You just heard it being preached. You're getting mad about it because your emotions are involved. That's a part of your soul, too. So in your disagreement, you're not only your mind, but your emotions get involved. And so does your will. This is where you dig your heels in. You make a choice. I will not. And so that's where the Lord is, that's where Paul is saying, present. Submit your soul to what the Lord wants to do through you. Amen. And the word of God will, will initiate that process. The word of God will divide your spirit and soul. You'll know very clearly by the time you're done with the scriptures whether that's God saying it or whether it's you saying it. It's a clear division. And then it goes on to say, or it's 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We've got to be Bible students, not just readers. I need to come up with some kind of a plan for us that will get you into Bible study. And I'll think about that. I was thinking of writing a devotional, and in that devotional, every devotion has a study you do with it. You know, it would be a great thing, but it's going to take a lot of time. <laughs> Amen. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So the word of God is going to furnish you. It's going to prepare you give you everything you need to do the things that God has called you to do. The Word of God has that power. So you need specific instruction. When you're renovating your home, it's not like, oh, let me see what happens if I just nail that board there. <laughs> you, know? you need to have a little more instruction before you're doing stuff like that. That's why many times you go for a building permit, they want a drawing. They want, I want to see what you're doing here. It's specific instruction. You know, not just hodgepodge, not just, you, know, you ever seen buildings that were just kind of pieced together as they saw fit and the floors don't light up, Paul has seen that, and the floors don't line up, you know, many hospitals, like, have you been in hospitals? Man, sometimes I wonder, who put these things together? And I understand it, you know, you have one part and then also we need to expand, they build this part, and the person that built the first part wasn't thinking about expanding to the second part. So there wasn't a lot of specific instruction involved <laughs> with the whole process. That's why many times you build a church building and you're already thinking what's going to happen when we expand. And so you create that initial project to have within it the capability to expand. So it doesn't look like hodgepodge and piecemeal and all these different things. Amen? The next point, mind renewal require, requires a blueprint. A blueprint. This blueprint is basically the Son of God. The Son of God. The pattern we are using as our blueprint is Jesus Christ. He is the only thing you need to become like. If you become like Jesus Christ, you will be the best church member in this room. You will. You'll be the best Christian. You'll be the best soul winner. You'll pray right. You'll do right. You'll talk right. You'll act right. You'll live right. You'll love right. You'll read your Bible right, you'll study your Bible right, you do everything right, but you say, oh, I'm not like that, that's why we need to continue to renovate. 
until Jesus comes. But he is the blueprint. That's what we want to look like. And ultimately, that is the final product. <laughs> when you were redeemed, the day that you got saved, the Lord already knew the blueprint for you and already had it figured out right in that moment, this, my friend, is what you're going to become. That's why Jesus, when he looked at his disciples, he never saw who they were. He saw who they could be. Now, you know, ultimately, every born-again believer will become exactly what God wants them to be. But that doesn't mean we become like that while we're in this time of faith. See, he wants us to take that on us while we're here walking by faith. That's where the rewards come from. That's where the blessings come from, you see. We're all going to hit the final point at the same time. We're all going to become like Christ at the same time. <laughs> but the, what happens at the judgment seat has everything to do with what happened between the moment that you received Christ and the resurrection day. <laughs> that determines. I always tell people there's, there's three believers' judgments. There's the judgment of the cross that brought your salvation. There is self-judgment that brings your sanctification. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ, which happens after the day of redemption. You're not going to be at the third one unless you have the first one. And you're not going to do well with the third one unless you've done well with the second one. Do you understand? We're the only people throughout history that, have, that are in this time, this age of self-judgment. It's amazing that people use that very term to actually get out of judging themselves. Oh, don't judge me. The Bible says, judge not. Well, no, what it says is, judge yourself. Judge yourself, lest ye be judged. You understand? We're in a time of self-judgment, so it doesn't matter what other people say about you. It matters a whole lot what you say about yourself. It matters a whole lot how you're looking in your own soul. Other people around you telling you do this and that is not going to make a difference at the judgment seat of Christ. But what is going to make a difference is how you evaluate your own soul and allow the Word of God to change you and renovate you when Jesus Christ comes. Amen? So what other people judge doesn't really matter. <laughs> because they may just re be repeating what God said in the Bible. And maybe that convicts you. And maybe because of that, you ought to make a decision to judge yourself. You understand? <laughs> but it all comes down to self-judgment. If you're not judging yourself, I'm sorry. You're going to go to the Lord looking almost like you did the day you got saved. In fact, a lot of people are worse than the day they got saved. Remember when you got saved? How happy were you? <laughs> How much liberty was in your soul? How much joy did you find there? Boy, you're just like, man, this is great! Didn't take long. That old, those old habits and stuff that the Lord, you knew the Lord wanted you to deal with, you wouldn't obey, you didn't let them renovate. And so now I feel worse than I did the day I got saved. Amen? <laughs> and so that's how many people meet God like that. It's a sad state, but that's the way it is. So it requires a blueprint, Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29 says this, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to, become, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn 
among many brethren. I want to read the rest of that. I don't have that in my notes here. I'm just going to turn Romans chapter 8 because he gives us the process of that in the next verse. So it says, um, where am I here? No, before, the, before that, no, right after, yes, sorry. Verse 30, it says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, now what is predestination? Is that he chose you to be saved? No. He chose you to be like his son. Everybody here that's born again is automatically predestined to become like Jesus Christ. That is going to happen. It, it, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Amen. I don't think you'd want to, but you know, there's nothing you can do about that. You are predestined to become like Christ. Then it goes on to say, he did predestinate. To them he also called. That means he invited you. That was the day that he reached out and he saved your soul. He was inviting you to this process. He says, I'm predestinating you to become like my son. So he called you and you responded. Because he knew, you, you know what? A lot of people say, well, God chose for me. Know that God chooses choosers. <laughs> Amen. God chooses people that will choose. He reaches out to people that will be saved. There's nobody that did not get saved or didn't get the opportunity to get saved that would have got saved if someone would have come to them. Because the Bible tells us right there that he will call to them. And we know that. The Bible says he lighteth every man that cometh into the world. There's an inner witness that you have that will call out. <laughs> and you know that. No matter what kind of background you came from, you were saved. It wasn't because some Baptist preacher was following you around every day. It was because something inside you. Amen. And you were a chooser. You were someone that wanted to choose light over darkness. But you know, there's a people out there that will not choose the light over darkness. They'll always choose the darkness over light. And that's the condemnation, for this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. That's what condemns a soul, is loving darkness. And then it goes on to say here, whom he called, them he also justified. That's declared righteous. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So all I know is this. If God called you, you will also be glorified. <laughs> the outcome will always be glorification at the end. That means if you responded to the gospel because the Lord was convicting your heart and you received Christ as your Savior, the automatic end to that is glorification. That's what it says. And that is being conformed to the image of Christ. Same passage. Amen? That's the process that takes place. Anyways, let's move on. And so, Colossians 3.8 says this, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, because that is old man. Lie not one to another, because that is old man, <laughs> seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Jesus created him, and that's the image of what the Lord is causing you to become like. That's the new creature. Where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, 
Barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, two different things. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Well, who's he explaining him there? Who, what are the characteristics? Who is that? <laughs> That's Jesus. Those last three verses I read to you, those are qualities of Christ. He says, put them on. That happens with mind renewal. That happens when you change your mind. That happens when you allow the Holy Spirit of God to change your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, where the Spirit is, there is liberty. <laughs> There's a liberation taking place. So wherever the Holy Spirit is allowed to uh, possess in your life, he will bring liberty to that area. But that doesn't mean you're going to live in liberty because you can choose not to let the Spirit of God into that part of your life. So here you are, you had someone hurt you and, and you refuse to forgive. <laughs> what you're saying is, Spirit of God, you cannot have that part of my mind and heart. Well, then he says, I cannot make that part of your mind and heart like Jesus Christ. You're going to be living with the old man in charge. Amen? That's what it is. And the Bible says where that spirit is, there is liberty. And it goes on to say, and turn there, go to 2 Corinthians. I just want you to see this because I think it's very pertinent to what we're talking about here. Um, in fact, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. I've spent so much time in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 and very powerful stuff if you're looking to change. <clears throat> Notice this, verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the spirit of the Lord. What does it mean to be changing his image from glory to glory? Well, what is glory? Glory is the essence. In fact, if you look up the word glory, the glory is talking about the wealth. It's talking about the weight. What's your glory? You can say, well, my glory is I got 20 bucks in the bank account. <laughs> That's my glory. In fact, if you go to a Bible study on glory, and you look at the first mention, it's talking about Laban, how his sons were all mad at Jacob because they stole the glory of their father because they're walking away with all his cattle. He's saying, they stole my, my father's glory. They were mad about it. So the glory is the essence or the weight or the wealth of what you are. So we know that glory, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the brightness of his glory. He is the visible manifestation of the glory, the wealth, the weight, the essence of God. So the Bible says when I look at Christ with the Spirit of God in a state of submission, I am changed into His image from glory to glory. That means one day I'm hurt by somebody and I'm bitter. What do I do? I look at Christ. I look at what he did on the cross. 
I look at how he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Spirit of God in me is directing me to submit. I say, yes, Lord, that's what I want in my life, and I change. But, you know, there's so many aspects of Christ's glory, you can have a different part of his glory every day of your life. There's a, the glory of his purity. There's a glory of his patience. There's a glory of his love for people. There's his glory of his love for children. And when he sat down, he said, suffer little children to come unto me. You know, you go around and you don't like kids around you. You need to change. There's a part of you that isn't Christ-like. You ought to allow that spirit to change you and submit to that because that's an aspect of the glory of Christ. You'll become like him in that. That's renovation. Amen. So I'm just talking about, about doctrinal renovation. <laughs> well, you know, we got to hold to these tenants. <laughs> it's not just about tenants. It's about your character. It's about your essence. It's about, it's about who you are inside. Amen. All these things are what God wants to renew in you. How you forgive people, how you care about people, the patience, how many times you let them slap you. Some people, you look at them and they're already mad and they're already attacking you. (laughs) I'm sorry, but that is old man. Christ was not like that. So change. Renovate. (laughs) Amen. And if you allow that renovation to take place inside, the outside will be different. He'll change you. And like I said, sometimes you, you don't even understand what's taking place. You'll have people come and you say, man, you sure changed. You'll say, huh? <laughs> I don't feel like I've changed. Well, you have. Because in, in the recesses of your heart, you've been making decisions to trust and to surrender and so forth, and you didn't even realize that the transformation process, that automatic transformation process, has been taking place. <laughs> because you're so focused on what's, what, you're do, what God's doing in your heart. Amen? But a person that's conforming, all they do is think about, what do I do? How do I think? It's all about that. Amen. Like I said, in a church, you come in here, there are certain things required of you. You can't act like an idiot. <laughs> you, know? you can't walk in here and just say whatever you want. Well, you're making me conform, yeah. <laughs> if you're not going to transform, then I'll make you conform. But that's not the way the Lord wants it. See, that benefits us. And we have to control people sometimes by, by, it's like the demoniac. They had to put chains on him. That's all they could do. They couldn't deliver him. They just had to put chains on him. And whenever they put chains on him, he tried to break the chains because he was a demoniac. That's what demons do. They don't like to be controlled. He's a rebel. Amen? But Jesus, by the end of that story, had him sitting fully clothed in his right mind. You understand? People of the town, all they could do was put chains on them. So you come in here and you act like an idiot, we're going to tell you that you're doing wrong and you can't do that here. If you insist on being like that, we'll tell you to leave. Because all we can do is put chains on a demoniac. But if you want to sit in your right mind, 
you need Jesus. Oh, those people, they don't love people because they put people in chains. They're putting people in chains because the demoniac would hurt people. He would hurt people, not even hurt people, he would hurt himself. Self-harm. And there's only so much that people can do. I wish I could find the switch in people and just click, <laughs> you know, doesn't exist. So there's a responsibility. See, that's what people don't understand. There's a responsibility we have of behavior. And yes, sometimes you just have to conform if you're not in a place where you want to transform. But that's only going to last so and so long. Ultimately, you're going to get very tired of controlling your behavior. It's like trying to hold back a team of wild Mustangs with, a, with your reins. See, I'm in control. Ah! <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but you're going to get tired sooner or later, and they're going to run loose. That's not change. That's not transformation. Those Mustangs have to be tamed. They shouldn't need those reins on them. Amen? You get what I'm saying here? Mind renewal. It says, then that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Prove means to test, try, to discern, to distinguish, to approve the will of God for your life. That's why most people, I've had that happen where people got saved. I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to be this. I'm going to say, hold your horses, buddy. You don't even know what you're saying yet. Now, praise God. You want to be a preacher? I give you a thumbs up for what you want. <laughs> Amen. But don't you just go running out. Because <laughs> there's a lot of change that needs to take place because the will of God is not just automatic. It just doesn't hit you on the head and you just choose it and just go do it. It's a part of a testing and proving process for your life. <laughs> Which shows you it's not just going to happen just because I'm here. It's something you have to apply yourself to and seek for and God will show you the will of God, but he is not going to just drop it like a pearl before the swine. He even says that. He says, I'm going to give you my pearl. You better want it. You better be ready to test it. Amen? But too many people are just too quick Talk about, this is the will of God, that's the will of God. Man, that's probably the most misused term in all of Christianity. Well, this is the will of God for my life. Oh, what did you do to test that? Well, I just feel. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Nowhere in this passage is to say, by the renewing of your emotion, <laughs> you know? It's mind. It's principle. It's truth. It's transformation. Amen? So we've got to have our lives presented to the Lord. We have, to have our, we have to reject the mold of the world. If you've never made a decision about this world, I'm sorry, you just probably won't know the will of God. Well, the world's not so bad. Well, you'll never find the will of God. You just won't. Because that is a precursor to knowing the will of God is that you will not be conformed to this world. And that's all those separation doctrines that you hate hearing about and that the preacher's always preaching about and those old fuddy-duddy preachers are always talking about can't do this and don't go there. And Well, yeah, and if you were right with God, you wouldn't want to. And the fact that you still want to tells me that there's something wrong with the heart. Amen? 
All the preacher's doing is trying to put the light on to maybe something you haven't seen about a certain situation or a certain place because you haven't been renewed there yet. So I wouldn't go there because of this, that, oh, I didn't know that. Well, then I won't go there because you've made a choice not to conform to this world. Amen? But if you're, you're still bucking, well, nobody can tell me what to do. <laughs> okay. Do what you want, man. I mean, do what you want. But that, my friend, is your will, not God's. And don't walk around saying this is the will of God when it's really your will. Amen? This preacher and the messages I preach have to do with revealing the will of God. And that is not for everybody. And like I said, by the end of this age, when we all meet Christ, there's going to be a very select few that will actually take seriously what this verse is really saying. Amen? And the rest of them are probably the ones that are mad at the preacher. You get that. Oh, the will of God stuff. <laughs> so he says the good. What is the good will of God? This is a profiting. This is profiting God. The will of God is not for you. The will of God is for God. So if it's a good will of God, it's not, I mean, sure, it's good for you, but he's talking about it being good for God. <laughs> when you're a servant... You're not working in a business to make it good for you. You're working in a business to make it good for your boss. When you're doing the will of God, you're not doing it so that you look like something. You're doing it so that he looks like something. Amen? That's the whole thing about having your will consumed within the will of God. So the good will of God means profiting God. Whatever it is you're going to do for God is going to profit him. Isn't like the, the, the people with the talents? The Lord gave everybody a talent. says, here you are, but I'm going to come back and uh, check on you. All they did is take that talent and try to multiply it. For who? For the master coming back. And that one was so scared, I'll just bury it in the ground and give it back to him when he comes. That wasn't good enough for him. He says, I didn't give you that talent so that you can be exactly the way you were when I left you. He says, you're a wicked servant. Wow. <laughs> Boy, they get mad at the preacher for that one. <laughs> Amen. Well, we better get mad at the Lord on that one. But it better profit God. Good means good and benevolent, profitable or useful. That means the will of God for my life is going to be useful for God, whatever his plan is. Not for me. In fact, it, it could be like Jim Elliot. I go to the mission field, and within a short time, I'm dead. They threw a spear right through him. Dead. Didn't even go to their camp one time. Didn't even make it to, the, to, the, to, the, to where they lived. Got off the plane, met the natives, spear came flying, dead. But through his death, God has been profited. So if you're saying, well, I'll do the will of God as long as they don't get a spear through me. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. That's not your choice. You don't choose that. He didn't choose it either. Jim Elliot. He just had himself presented. 
I tell you, that's so true. So true. That's the will of God. Good will of God. Acceptable will of God. This means not only profiting God, but pleasing God. (laughs) Wanting to be acceptable to someone is wanting to please them. Many times people have lie-based thinking where they're trying to be acceptable to people, so they do everything they can to please somebody. Except they don't have boundaries with that. They just do whatever they need to do, even if it takes them into sin. But this type of pleasing is within the boundaries of principle and the Word of God. Whatever I do is within the principle of the Word of God, and it pleases God at the end. Acceptable means to please, well-pleasing. will of God will be about pleasing God by faith rather than pleasing yourself. We'll need to learn to deny ourselves for the Lord and others. That's why Jesus said, uh, you know, if you're my disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and deny yourself. Oh, that's a quaint little verse there. Well, no, that's really the essence of being a servant of God. If you don't deny yourself, you just won't be one. It's just all there's to it. Well, I'll be one without that part. No, you won't. Because you're not the one that chooses. God chooses. And that's why you can't just, you can't just do that after you get saved. I'm just going to be pleasing to God. No, you have to get into the scripture and understand, oh, <laughs> he's wanting me to deny myself. What does that mean? And now I'm proving it. Am I willing to deny myself? Am I willing to have people say bad things about me without me reacting in anger? Because that's a person that wants to please God rather than pleasing self. (laughs) Am I allowing my emotional life to control me? (laughs) Well, you're not pleasing God. You want to please self. And so the third part is, and then we're done, is the perfect will of God. This is the purpose of God. See, the word perfect means goal. It means that which is finished. That which has reached its end, its term, its limit. It's complete, it's full, it's lacking nothing. (laughs) So when I'm proving the will of God, what I'm doing is I'm saying, Lord, I want to profit you, I want to please you, and I want to fulfill your purpose. That's why the Bible says this, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. See, the only time that all things work together for good for you is when you get to this last verse and say yes. Until then, if I'm not surrendered to the will of God, if I don't want the will of God, don't expect everything to be work out for you. <laughs> but he says, if you can, well, you don't understand, preacher, what I've been through, everything you've been through is God's hand to help you be what God wants you to be. Well, you understand, I made some bad choices. Okay, do you think God is that good that he can take your bad choices and make them good? Well, I don't know, I'm so bad. Okay, then don't believe God. Just go about and do your own thing and just you know, self-deprecate yourself for the rest of your life. Just condemn yourself. If that's what you want to do, you go ahead and do that. But you're doing that in the face of God. After he told you, you can You keep telling him, I can't. 
I can do all things through Christ. But without Christ, I can do nothing. It's coming to such a place where I realize that if Jesus isn't in this thing, it's absolutely, totally fruitless. But if Jesus is in this thing, there is nothing that's going to stop me. Amen. It all becomes about Christ. How does Jesus get in this thing? By you changing. By you allowing Christ not into the thing, but into this thing. Then we can do all things through Christ. Amen. It's not just a magical power that comes on you. Oh, I'm going to go do it now because Jesus is on me. No, it's about you hitting that first obstacle where someone just curses at you as a preacher and you can say, I love you back. That's through Christ. Amen. That's what it's about. That's proving the will of God. I don't know, this is powerful truth. This passage right here, I tell you, I think it is just really the crux of the whole book of Romans. And God is just telling you, this is it right here. <laughs> presentation. Well, actually, before presentation, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. You want mercy is motivation. The reason why most people don't present themselves, they're not motivated. They don't look at what Christ did for them and are actually grateful for the sacrifice that Christ made for them <laughs> and the mercy they have received. So number one is motivation. And motivation leads to presentation. <laughs> and then presentation leads to separation. <laughs> separation leads to transformation. Amen? That's the key to the Christian life right there. <laughs> I remember I had a youth leader come to me one time in Iowa, in the States. He says, I don't know what it is, but I'm just having a hard time getting our youth to do, to do right. I says, I know what the problem is. I, don't think, I, I says, I don't know if you can actually change it. <laughs> but I says, this is the reason. And I showed him Romans chapter 12. This is the reason why youth won't do right. This is why church members don't want to serve God. This is why there's no more preachers being called to the churches. This is why no one wants to be a missionary and go across the land and reach another people that they've never met before. This is why. Number one, motivation and desire are not there. Through desire, a man having separated himself seeketh an intermeddle of all wisdom. No desire, no motivation, no will of God. Maybe it's because we've got so many other motivations. Well, I went to school for all these years. Are you willing to throw that in the garbage can to follow Christ? The disciples, Peter, invested in their business. James and John, father's business, going on and fishing. They had a fleet of boats. Follow me. I'll make you to become fishermen. Oh, well, wait. Uh, we got some business decisions. <laughs> follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible says they forsook their nets. And they followed him. Why would they do that? Well, they've been, those Jews, because they've been waiting all this time. They've heard about the Messiah since the beginning of Israel, since Abraham's covenant. They've been waiting for, who would say no to the Messiah? We would. <laughs> we do. 
But that's different, really. <laughs> How different really is it than Jesus standing on the shore saying, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. He says it to you now. Well, but he's not here. <laughs> you know what he'd do if he'd be here behind this pulpit today? He'd say, take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12. And he'd read you the scriptures. Oh, now I'll obey. Why? Because the person reading it is different? <laughs> he wrote it. <laughs> Amen. It's his words. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for your patience. I believe the Lord was in this message tonight. I don't know how it is that he spoke to your heart. And I'll tell you something. As coming from a preacher, I started not knowing anything either. I, I mean, I started square number one. And it is a journey. It's a journey till Jesus comes. All you really need to do is take your first step. Are you motivated? Do you really see what Christ has done for you? Have you motivated yourself by looking at what Jesus Christ did on the cross? Hereby perceive we the love of God, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Are we motivated? How about presented? Presentation means to stand near to the king, wait for the instruction, wait for him to tell you, what, should, what do you want me to do, Lord? I'm, I'm standing with you now. Have you said, Lord, I'm available. <laughs> Whatever you want, I'll do it. I'm surrendering my life tonight. If he, if he would be here, he would tell you the same thing. Maybe there's an aspect of the world, the separation. Part of that world has got into your soul. And it's keeping you from finding the will of God for your life. I'm going to tell you, there's going to come a day if you're a born-again believer, you're going to meet the Lord and you say, man, I wish I would have done the will of God for my life. All these pleasures of this world will mean nothing. It'll be very pale in comparison to everything the Lord had for you. Maybe you need to separate. Maybe there's something the Lord wants you to confess and forsake so you can move forward. Maybe you just need to spend time back in the Bible and go back to the scriptures and say, Lord, change me. Change me into your image. I want to become like Jesus Christ. I need to forgive. I need to be patient. I need to be long-suffering. I need to love. Whatever it is, whatever it is, Lord, I want you to change my heart so that my Lord...